Welcome to the Racially Responsible Podcast, a show designed to call in, support, and provide loving accountability for white women and anti-racism work. If you have ever questioned your role and approach in this work or wondered how you can create an impact for racial equity and justice, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Rory Geller Muhammad, a white woman doing this work alongside you in real time with my family, local community, and institutions that I'm connected to. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker, the creator of the Changemakers program, and deeply committed to working for a safe, loving, and inclusive world. I'm so glad you're listening and joining me on this journey. Here we go. Welcome everyone. For today's episode, we have a wonderful guest on, Casper Calderola. Casper Calderola founded the New York-based nonprofit Pollyanna in 2015. Casper founded Pollyanna to support the schools that have made a commitment to building a more inclusive school community through multi-constituent conference models, workshops, community assessments, and racial literacy curriculum. Casper's experience includes serving as the president of the Dalton School Parents Association. In addition, Casper was the communications director at the Allen Stevenson School and was tasked with helping to develop and implement equity initiatives, such as developing a more inclusive hiring process and creating parent chats with topics that focused on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Before joining the independent school world, she was a marketing and advertising executive. Casper now serves on the board of Seeds of Peace. She was a trustee at the Dalton School for 10 years and served as a member of the executive committee, chaired the committee on new trustees and community life and diversity committee, and was on the strategic plan steering committee and also served on the boards of Parents in Action and Generation Citizen. So Casper has done many, many wonderful things. So we are so excited. Thank you, Casper, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So I always like to start off each episode with giving guests the opportunity to share um, their personal social identities that can impact and influence our experiences in the world. Um, so if you would be interested in sharing, you know, anything about race, ethnicity, cultural background, anything like that. Sure. Um, I am a white Jewish woman who grew up in New York City. I still live here. Um, there were a few detours along the way, but I'm definitely a New Yorker by heart. And I, as I said, I'm Jewish, but I'm not religious. It's more traditions. And I feel culturally close to that mm -hmm. and raise my son the same way. Um, and it's been an interesting road as someone who grew up in New York City, going to independent schools and seeing all the changes that have taken place in the last couple of dozen years. Awesome. So I would love for you to talk about what Pollyanna is, how it works, all of that. Sure. We started six years ago. And as you mentioned, we have actually two conference models that we offer to schools. That was our base. That was what I thought we were going to do forever. And, and this was going to be just sort of an incredible journey of helping schools build, build more inclusive school communities. Um, one is a model where you invite schools in your immediate geographic region to come and discuss issues of DEI, where you're finding successes, where you're finding challenges, and really putting aside that your um, competitors during admission season and really try to come together as a group to make the school better, primarily for the students, but obviously for faculty and families as well. Um, the other conference model is where it's just for your school itself. 
so you can really sort of talk very honestly and openly about what's going on in your school and where it can be better. I mean, all of the work we do is there to say you already have a strong school community or a corporate community, but how can we make it better and more inclusive? Right. So we started with that and then we were approached by a family foundation uh, about four years ago or three years ago, asking if we would create a K-8 racial literacy curriculum, focusing on race in the US and the other stipulation was that it must be disseminated free of charge, which was actually something we would have wanted to do regardless. That was launched in 2019 and is in many schools across the country. Anyone can go onto our website, register for it, download it. There's also a parent guardian companion guide because even a few years ago, we thought, you know, this is not something many parents learned in school. And, you know, as your kids get older, you realize you can't even help them with math. So it's really embarrassing when you feel like you can't help them with social studies or, or understanding racial literacy because it really wasn't part of many of our education. Right. Um, so we felt like we really needed to help the parents and bring them along as well. And then the other thing we do, and so and we obviously support that work with workshops for teachers and for faculty and administrators. Uh, the other thing we do is we do DEI assessments where we'll go into a school or into an organization and do focus groups and surveys with the constituents to find out where they have opportunities to become more inclusive, where they're already doing good work, but where it could be better. Right. And, and, and oh, as I mentioned, the curriculum is K-8. We're excited we're gonna be launching uh, the high school curriculum at the beginning of 2022. So that's, that's, awesome. that's a huge thrill. That's a long time in the making. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I mean, what an amazing resource, you know, that it's, it's free and available to any, you know, to schools, like to people, <laughs> like, I don't think I've seen anything else out there like that, that's sort of available like that. And also like a racial literacy curriculum in that way. Learning for Justice has some wonderful curricula. Um, there, there are a couple of other organizations, I believe Sesame Street just came out with something. Okay. Um, this is, this was created by teachers for teachers. So the lessons are very simple. We're not, we're not replacing school curriculum. Right. It is eight lessons per grade. There are expandable areas. So if a teacher really wants to take it on, they can grow it. But otherwise it's eight lessons per grade. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was actually, I was gonna kind of ask like how people can use it and access it. You're describing sort of how it's used. Um, is it something that you would recommend, you know, let, let's say there's parents that are listening to this that would like it to be in their schools. Is it something you know, you'd recommend to them to first like bring up with the teachers or administrators or how would you say to get that process started? What I would recommend is I think if the parents are interested, they should go online, register and download the Parent Guardian Companion Guide. It's okay. a great resource. And even if your schools aren't using the curriculum, it's still a wonderful way. Um, there's a great list of books for parents to read their children, there are activities for them to do. Um, what I, you know, as, a, as the mom of a grown son at this point, I knew that there were times in our lives as a family where, dinner table conversation was challenging. And, you know, trying to find the topic about school where everything was just not, it's fine or it's good, don't worry, mom. You know, to really be able to ask some questions, there, there are questions you can ask your children from the curriculum, you know, for the parents there. Right. It's real helpful. That's awesome. 
how did you first get involved in doing um, DEI work and with schools and everything? So as I said, I grew up in the Upper East Side of New York City. I went to independent schools. We, as a family, didn't really talk about you know, money, politics, the typical things, religion, you know, nothing, anything that was controversial, we tried to stay away from. But we literally never even said we don't talk about race. That's how much we didn't talk about race. Right. And I grew up in the 70s. There was a, there were a lot of racial issues that were going on that just were not part of our conversation. Um, when my son started in kindergarten in independent school in New York, they were very committed to diversity work. I personally didn't think it had anything to do with me. Um, I figured I was a white person. I wasn't part of it. And nobody really explained to me that we're all part of the work. Yeah. And so as I got more involved in school as a volunteer, I saw where the commitment was solid. And I saw where I thought it could be better. And by the time my son was in third grade, I ended up as the head of the Parents Association, which was never ever on my to-do list. <laughs> I have a full-time job, thank you so much. Um, but what came with that was almost 300 parent volunteers to manage. Wow. Huge. Um, but I will say, you know, as I went and met with all the committees, they had a huge presence for DEI. We probably 30 different people working on different diversity committees. And I was the white person in the conference room. I knew nothing. I put my foot in my mouth about 500 times, but I realized I had a lot to learn. So I did a lot of reading. I surrounded myself with people who were way smarter than I was in this area. And I used some common sense. You know, if I felt like, like one example, in order to be um, a parent in the, for the classroom, sort of the assistant to the teacher, um, to sort of plan, you know, field trips and things like that, or in, in, in classroom events, you were also charged with buying the holiday present for the teacher you were expected to pay for it, which the expectation was then you had money then in order to do that. And I said, well, this is not right. So I said, you know what? The PA is gonna give each person, each parent a budget right. and supply them with the money. And that way we're gonna take the socioeconomic issue out of volunteering. Right. So we just started looking at everything we did. We started offering childcare for mm -hmm. events because there were a lot of parents who couldn't come because they had a little one. Right. So we didn't babies, but you know, any a child over three, we were happy to be responsible for. So it was just, it was simple things. And then obviously it was bigger things. But initially it was the low-hanging fruit that we started. So the way it all really sort of came to be was um, I'd gone to a panel of students of color who had just gone to a conference and they came back to talk about their experience to a large parent group. They were all high school students and each one was just better than the next. And there was one young woman who I was told was just you know, a straight A student. She was star of the volleyball team and in the plays and you know, one of those all well-rounded kids. <clears throat> and she was talking you know, about her great experience at the school. And then she said, you know, my mom doesn't feel comfortable here. I live an hour out in Brooklyn. She comes into the building. She doesn't really feel like she belongs here. And I, you know, that, to this day, and I promise you, this was 15 years ago, it stings me in my heart, like I can't even explain, as a parent, yeah. not to feel that you could be comfortable at your child's school. Yeah. It's got to be a terrible feeling. So I made a promise that as long as I was going to leave this parent association, that I was going to do everything I could to make everyone feel as welcome as possible. 
Did I do it? I'm sure I didn't, but hopefully we made some changes and it, it, it just built on itself because the person who took over for me changed more things and the following person did more. So it was, there was a lot of momentum around it, but that was the turning point for me. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Thank you so much, you know, for sharing your experience with us. I mean, it, it's, I was going to ask, you know, if there was like kind of what sort of, you know, that turning point, like what kind of switch and sound like that was sort of a really defining moment for you that really kind of made no, things click in a way. I listen to the children, you know, right, right now there's, there's so much going on in this country around um, equity and diversity and a lot of parents have a lot to say. And, you know, obviously I welcome the voices of parents and faculty, but the kids are the ones who are living it. So right. hearing this young woman talk about her experience through her mom's eyes right. was, was painful to hear. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, you know, and of course, you know, thank you for sharing, for sharing that and just the steps that you kind of took to sort of say like, it's not, that's not okay. And we need to change this. And how are we going to do that? And really taking, you know, kind of taking that on and, and working on that piece of it. Um, My guess is right. There are a lot of small things that that schools can do, that organizations mm -hmm. can do to make people feel more welcome. Yeah. And since most, I mean, independent schools were created for predominantly right. white families, and they've now made a commitment to changing that. But you can't just open the admissions doors. It's not about that. It's about actually looking. You know, people talk about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. You have to look at the systems in a school right. Right. that are making it not as welcoming as it could be. Yeah, no, that's really, really important points, definitely. Um, and how we work on, on changing that and pushing back against some of those things. So and you've done, you know, lots of this work. Are there any, um, anything where you've really seen, I mean, it sounds like even just a story told us it made a big difference. Um, anything you've worked on or been part of through this work that you have seen make a big difference um, or that you were most proud of to be part of? You know, it's so interesting. I, um, when we would plan events at schools, mm -hmm. you know, typically people would measure the success of an event by how many people showed up. Okay. And it wasn't about the quality of the conversation. I'm always about the quality of the conversation, less about the quantity of right. show up. So I'm very much focused on even the little changes that places are able to make because, <clears throat> excuse me, I know how difficult it is to make change. It's yes. hard to make change in our own personal lives. Yes. So in an institution where you have pushback, right. don't have agreement all the time, to make those little incremental changes, I think it's pretty huge. So, you know, we've been a part of, obviously, um, policy changes being made, which are obviously the, the most right. um, But it can be hiring guidelines. Simple things that, you know, you and I would say, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Places have been doing things the same way for many years. Yeah. Schools, in a lot of ways, because you're so beholden to a calendar, it's easier to say, let's just keep the same events on the calendar year to year without looking at some of them. And listen, I love a good tradition, believe me, but there are some traditions that maybe aren't as welcoming as they used to be. Right. I mean, all the schools that would celebrate, you know, they call it Christmas break. Right. Well, it's not Christmas break for everybody. So it was much more welcoming to just say winter break. Right. It's, you know, words are so powerful. Yes. And even, and even, you know, it's funny when you said, you know, I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing your last name right. Right. 
that's a huge thing to say to someone for a name that doesn't, you know, if it's not Jane Smith and it doesn't look familiar to you, there's nothing wrong with saying, please let me know how you pronounce your name. <clears throat> someone was telling me they, they um, got an email from someone who had a name that would not be easily pronounceable. And there was in the signature, a recording of how to pronounce their name. And that yeah. was brilliant. That is really brilliant. <laughs> and how simple. Yes. Oh, that's awesome to make things more accessible. Yeah. And I know also even like with pronouns, right? A lot of people are starting to put pronouns in their signature and things like that as well. And you know what's so interesting? I have so many friends and I am completely convinced this is very generational yeah. where they said, I just don't understand it. And I said, but it's not about you. Right. I said, and the only reason for me to say, you know, my pronouns are she, her, and hers is to make people who don't identify that way more comfortable. Right. So is this something that I was raised doing? Absolutely not. Right. But there isn't a 13-year-old I've met yet who doesn't say, hi, I'm Becky. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, or they, them, and them. It, everyone. It's just part of their name. Right. But we have to just get comfortable with it. Right, right. Yeah. You know, the world changes a little bit, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And yeah, and like, you know, looking at the, gen the younger generation and how they're doing can do things differently they're doing things differently and growing up with a different which is, is awesome um so i would also love for you to tell us a little bit about if the way you you are doing this work or have approached this work has changed over time for you uh yes i would say it definitely has um we when covid hit Many of our conferences were canceled or postponed. Okay. Only one school at that point opted to try going online and doing it on Zoom, which we pulled together in something like six weeks. And Zoom was certainly not what Zoom is today, where everybody's <laughs> faster. You know, nobody was like, how do you make a breakout room? And, you know, um, so our work, much of our work has gone online. Much of our work is going online. I, none of our workshops are in person until the earliest January. Okay. We have figured out how to adapt what we do to Zoom, which has been, I think, incredibly successful. Yeah. I think in some ways it's been easier, you know, for parents to attend things. They're not rushing back to school. They're not trying to find childcare. Doesn't matter if the kid's walking in the middle of your Zoom. <laughs> Everybody's got somebody or a cat walking through. Um, so the online piece has been a tremendous change. And I think the pushback in the country um, and the, the divide of how people are feeling around racial literacy or what they're calling CRT, which is not what any K-12 school is doing at the moment, um, is very pronounced. And when this started last year, right after COVID and all the black app pages, you know, appeared on Instagram, you know, we came under a lot of fire. And um, honestly, we were really surprised. We knew the work we were doing was good. We were certainly, we had very honorable ways of working with schools. And it was, how do we stand up for ourselves without getting embroiled in these conversations? We basically, you know, kept doing the work and yeah. what we were doing and still do, obviously. So it's definitely changed. The tenor of what's going on in the country has changed. Yeah. Without question. Right, right. I, I wonder, you know, 
because of sort of the conversations right around CRT, like all of a sudden it became a thing about teaching CRT in the classroom and all of that. And I know people who are listening most likely they have, or maybe not, but um, I imagine are kind of have, may have an understanding, right? So critical race theory and the importance of race is really just learning about race and racism, right? Is, and you just do that all like throughout life, right? Throughout in the classroom, whatever that is. Um, it's, that was traditionally used in the judicial system, right? And legal standards. And so basically saying like, well, they're not teaching those specific things necessarily in the classroom. Um, but just the idea of having this conversation about race and racism, of course, is important for parents or administrators or teachers that maybe are looking for advice on I don't know, navigating any of this. Has your organization done anything like how to or have any thoughts on how to navigate some of these difficult conversations with community school communities? Absolutely. Without question. You know, it's it's funny because we really do want to support the schools, whether we're working with them or not, because we know how challenging this has been. Right. Um, we are hosting, it's, it's kind of a test, if you will, uh, a conversation for parents and caregivers around, it's titled Race, is the race Talk is Dividing Us. Okay. Excuse me. And other myths around racial literacy in a K-12 school. Right. So we're hosting that. It's at the end of, of September. And on the homepage of our website, there's a link to register. It's open to anyone who'd like to come. Um, we're just asking that people, you know, come open-minded, be yeah. respectful, and uh, we'll have a conversation about this. But there are a lot of myths. And, you know, you, you explained CRT perfectly. I mean, it was focused for you know law school, right? And, you know I think where we look at racial literacy are you know the two core tenets of you know there are systems in place keeping people certain people down, right? And oppressed and the fact that you know race is a social construct. So right. you know those are basic things that we hope most people could agree with, right? Um, I know not everybody does, but <laughs> our and and the other the other myth about our curriculum. Um, is that it makes white children feel badly about themselves. Not for one moment. Um, that is not something I would ever believe in or condone. I'm a white person. I have a white, you know, I have a white child. I would never want him to have been made to feel guilty about the past. But what I would hope is once they learn about the past, they then think, what is my responsibility moving forward? Right. It's not about changing because you can't change what's happened, but it's the responsibility to move forward. Yeah. And I think anyone who actually listens and learns about our history as a country realizes we didn't do we didn't do well by a lot of people. Right. And um, you know, it was interesting when Tulsa acknowledged, you know, it's hundred years recently. How many people said to me, I had no idea. I never learned about this in school. Right. So I always said, well, now that you've learned about it, now what? Because how can you ever make good on what was done to those families? The right. generational wealth that was literally killed that day. You can't make that up, right? So what can we do in 2021 not to repeat all of that? Right. And, and it's great, you know, that your organization is is offering you know, that dialogue and 
racial literacy curriculum, really looking at, right, how do, what's our responsibility? How do we teach our children, right, to, to take on responsibility to work for change moving forward? Um, and, you know, and I really pointing out, right, there's so much fear around, right, like white, how are white, white children going to feel? Like, I feel guilty, I feel, right? And so addressing that head on, like you're saying, I just, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, have there been any other challenges that the organization has experienced through this work or um, anything that you've seen challenges come up like with, or maybe through not even like the organization, but maybe teachers that are teaching this in the classroom, um, any challenges that you've seen come up that they've had to work through or overcome anything like that? I mean, to be honest, teachers typically, the ones who have not taught anything like this before, I think their, their biggest concerns have always been, well, I have administrator support if there's pushback. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Fear of not wanting to say the word. Yeah. You know, I think no teacher wants to knowingly hurt a child. Right. So I think there's a lot of fear, and especially if you didn't grow up talking about race. Yes, yes. You, you know, we always say, this can't be the first time you're talking about it this in the classroom. So you right. need to do your own work beforehand. Right. Uh, and I think the other the other places, you know, any kind of pushback for families. I think that you know families have said things like, you know, well, if you're teaching this, you're not teaching A, B, and C. Right. And the reality is, is A, B, and C is getting pushed into this too. So right. these are the skill sets I believe that right. children need to go out into the world. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in school, you had to memorize your multiplication tables. You had to do all this stuff. And now, you know, I'm sitting here with a telephone that my telephone can do everything. You know, right. it's like, I, I don't need as much math as I used to need. Right, um, right. But I think, you know, the basic core subjects obviously are very important. But I look and I think, you know, now there's technology. We didn't really have technology big time in school the same way the kids do now. Computer science, health and wellness. I mean, none of these, none of these classes were, were there. So right. you have to make room or language wasn't quite yes. as yes. And I remember when my son was in school, they were trying to figure out how to back it up to kindergarten. And they kept saying, well, something's going to have to go. Right. To me, everything in life is a choice, right? So right. schools have to decide what are the values, what are the skill sets that these children are going to need to graduate to go off into college mm -hmm. or trade schools and or the workforce. Right. And this to me is a huge piece of it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Has there been anything at, that you've seen um, differences or similarities in the way this is done, both from independent private schools, um, charter schools, and public schools? Um, is there anything that stands out or is it, would you say it's a similar process? Um, it's a similar process, except public schools have, there's more control over the curriculum. Okay. And they have, they're more accountable to, making sure certain things are done by the end of every year. So it becomes a bit more challenging figuring out how to insert our curriculum. But we've totally worked with them. They've done okay. it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the high school piece. Okay. I'm curious to see what happens. You know, independent schools, I believe in charter schools, have a little more flexibility. Right. Teachers have a little more flexibility. But we're doing a lot of work with public schools now, which has been Thrilling. That That's awesome. It's really exciting. So I know you're, you're working and the high school one is in process. Is it, I don't know if it's, it's this far along yet or not. Is it something that would be taught 
like within specific subjects? Is it something that would be like a homeroom advisory type of thing? Is it, is it that far along yet? <laughs> oh, it's, it's definitely that far along. Um, so the K-8 curriculum is, as I mentioned, eight lessons that can be taught in homeroom, it can be taught in English, history, wherever, wherever the teachers want to put it, or in the advisory. The high school curriculum is different. It is by subject matter, not by grade. Oh, okay. So there's obviously your core subjects, and then there's a health and wellness, there is a technology and an advisory piece. And we're, we're actually right in the middle of sending out test pilot lessons to some schools that are working with us. And they have to sign up for which lessons they want. Okay. And right now advisory is leading the pack, which I'm so happy to see because I right. think schools are crying for curricula for, for advisory programs. It's yeah. one of the places where there isn't a typical advisory program. Right. right. Um, so that part's exciting. So um, yeah, those are all going to be tested this fall and then changes will be made accordingly. And then it'll launch the beginning of 2022. Very exciting. Oh, that's awesome. So we're all going to stay tuned for that. <laughs> it's exciting. It's definitely been a long time in the making. And I'm, I'm, I will be very excited to be able to say that we offer a K-12 curriculum. That's really exciting. So this question I always like to ask guests because this work can sometimes be, this work can, is very hard and it can be tiring and overwhelming at times. So how do you practice self-care in this work? What does that look like for you? Any examples that you could share with us? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned to you before, I think exercise is the key to everything. And mm-hmm. um, I definitely had my, my fits and starts with it all. But I would say in the last, three months now I've committed to biking every morning before I have a cup of coffee. And um, that's the way I, I sort of negotiate with myself. You cannot have your coffee until you do bike. So that I know at least by you know seven o'clock in the morning, I have that out of the way. And then if I have time to go out for a walk, fantastic if I don't. But <clears throat> the exercise piece, but the walking piece for me, I typically try not to do phone calls on the, when I'm walking. I listen to music. I just enjoy that so much. And that's another way. Um, I also try to turn off the news. Yeah. I find that that, um, I just take it all too much to heart and Uh it is overwhelming at times. And um, I was away for three days last week and did not have the news on at all. And spoke to a friend on the third day and I said, did I miss anything terrible? I figured somebody would call me. Right, right. Um, and I even ignored like the news flashes on my phone. I just pushed them up. It's, it can be overwhelming. Yes. So I, I think just finding time to breathe is really important. Yeah, no, those are awesome, awesome ideas and suggestions. I also, I like to take walks too. And I think the news, right? Like, cause it's part of us, sometimes it's easier. Sometimes I feel like it's harder, right? Cause like you want to know what's going on sometimes, but it really is important. Like, because it, we don't even realize sometimes the emotional energy it takes when we're like reading and seeing and watching what's going on. That's, it's hard for all of that in our bodies, I think as well. Yeah. So um, just for the last thing, I, I would love for just listeners to know how they can connect with you. I know we'll post it on the show notes. Um, you just want us to share the website or anything like that. Best way yeah, to connect. The, web, the website has a ton. It's um, pollyannainc.org. And there are a lot of resources there. We, um, as I mentioned, we've got workshops that you can sign up. Some are free. Some have costs associated with them. The curriculum, you can click on and, and register for and download it immediately. 
Um, there also, we do something called position papers, which are really an interesting thing. It's, it's a one question report that we post questions to heads of schools, DEI directors, communications directors, all around, you know, making the school more inclusive and where they're finding, you know, pitfalls and, and, and challenges. And those, those have been incredible. So, you know, peruse the website. It's pretty, it's pretty current. The curriculum pages are going to change very shortly, but um, they'll, they'll always still be accessible. So not to worry. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Now it's time for you to reflect, decide what your next steps are, and start taking action. For additional support, join our mailing list and be the first to get access to new resources, workshops, and upcoming events. The link is in the show notes. Until next time.